you're invited to explore cypress swamps and magical gardens and float along the rushing waters of an old-fashioned swimming hole. Plan your journey at visitmississippi.org slash outdooradventure. Mississippi, wanderers welcome. Today on the Animation Deliberation Podcast, we're diving right into Young Justice Season 2. After our coverage of Young Justice Season 1 and in preparation for the soon-to-be-announced Young Justice Season 4. All of that right after these ads that we don't have any say. You're invited to explore cypress swamps and magical gardens and float along the rushing waters of an old-fashioned swimming hole. Plan your journey at visitmississippi.org slash outdooradventure. Mississippi, wanderers welcome. You're invited to take a vacation from everybody else's vacation to a place where you can explore cypress swamps and magical gardens and see a 65-foot waterfall that once powered an old mill that you can walk through today. Or just float along the cool, rushing waters of an old-fashioned swimming hole. See the places and plan your journey at visitmississippi.org slash outdooradventure. Mississippi. Wanderers welcome. And whatsoever. One, two, three, it's time for animation, deliberation. A conversation and a celebration of our favorite action animated series. Yeah. All right. Well, folks, we are back. Uh, like I mentioned at the top of the show, hot off the heels of our coverage of Young Justice Season 1. We are here to cover the first three episodes of Young Justice Season 2, a.k.a. Young Justice Invasion. And I'm so excited! <laughs> yes, yes. I am here. I'm your host, Jay Scotty St. Clair. And uh, joining me is my co-host, Zuhair Ali. Zuhair, how are you, man? You've already, you've already expressed your excitement. So, how you doing? I am ecstatic. Not to timestamp this too much, but just finished the Snyderverse. Just finished the first episode of Falcon and the Winter Soldier. I'm watching this for probably the fourth or fifth time, and I'm still <laughs> ecstatic from the first three episodes. Hell yeah! It's a uh, quite a time to be alive, and quite a time to be a nerd and a fan of this stuff. So, um, I'm right there with you. Uh, between the Snyder Cut, Falcon and the Winter Soldier and the show uh adrenaline and excitement and emotions are all running high because I, I i gotta say man um this premiere these three episodes as much as i love them and uh being back in this world and seeing these characters it was a little bittersweet for multiple reasons yeah uh five years a lot has happened <laughs> yeah. in five years five years and and we pick up a full five years from the last time we saw these characters um episode one is happy new year so the last time we uh we were in the world of young justice it was new year's eve and we just had you know the uh confrontation with vandal savage and the uh justice league being under his control but there were six members in particular that had a 16-hour uh, period that we did not know what happened, and that was kind of the cliffhanger of that season. And they don't take very long at all to uh, to get into what exactly happened in that 16 hours. But as we have kind of uh, done in the past, I will provide you the opportunity as the resident expert and more experienced watcher of this show to kind of um, go ahead and lay out why you thought that these, these three episodes... I mean, I, I obviously have my... Um, suspicions about why why you chose these these three episodes to kind of kick off the season but go ahead and uh, let me know what you what you were thinking so yeah um definitely spoiler alert it ended with the big reveal that uh black manta is 
Aqualad, Calderon. Oh, um, God. We have the unveiling of what happened in the 16 hours. We get a good idea of who's new to the team. We get an awesome fight sequence of everybody working with their mentors, which is one of my all-time favorite scenes in the show. There was just way too much that happened in these three episodes to not focus on just the three of them because it was a lot to dive into. A lot of speculation on what happened in the last five years and what's to come. A lot of big things that happened at the league and them having to go on their trial. So it ended in a way and started in a way that was just like it's it's like its own little movie that needs to be talked about separately. The yeah, the movie is a is a good comparison. It's definitely um, as I stated with season one. You know, the show did a great job of like consistently building momentum and upping the ante. Um, as we spent more time with these characters, the stakes were consistently raised, and uh, that that goes right into season two. I mean, with the subtitle right there, "Invasion," things are already on a more like galactic scale. And and you mentioned we do have a completely different team, and that's kind of one of the reasons that I describe it as bittersweet. There there are definitely some characters that I'm missing after you know spending so much time with them a- across season one. I uh, so. Off the top of my head, you correct me if I'm wrong here, but uh, the two standouts for me that we did not get any mention of whatsoever that were integral parts of the team in Season 1 were Kid Flash and Artemis. Am, am I wrong in that uh, estimation there? Anybody? All else? I'll say is that there's a, there's a lot more story to still be covered. Mm-hmm. This is kind of a big way just to focus on the members that were directly connected to their mentors that had to leave for the trial on ran okay now that we're now that that storyline has been dealt with and we're dwelling more into what's happening with those teams we'll get the stories of other characters okay okay that makes sense uh well in and another aspect of the show that you had mentioned uh, when you recommended the show to me, and I always have to thank you for recommending the show because it is some of the finest uh, animated content as well as some of the finest comic book uh, material that I've had the pleasure to to watch, um, is the connective threads to season one. And it's it's like you mentioned, there's nothing is there without purpose. And it's even as simple as the transportation devices they use. The Zeta tubes come back mm-hmm. in a big way. Um and, and that's that's one, another cool aspect of the show is they take these lesser-known characters from the comics that people not, might not be as familiar with, and they do a great job of adapting them for a modern audience, just like the movies do. And, uh, as I mean, we just kind of... Sorry to, to kind of do a little spin-off here, but we did mention that the Snyder Cut is out there and everything like that um, that's going on. As much as I love um, the Snyder Cut, and I'm there for Restore the Snyderverse, I mentioned it in season one, but if they were to take inspiration from for this series, um, as far as live action goes, it's uh, man they are doing such an incredible job of adapting these these characters, and um, it kind of for this audience, I imagine it goes without saying, but yes, this show uh, was originally created for a, a younger audience, but the nuance, the gravitas, the character development is is all there, and we get some 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 major shakeups, um, but. Uh, let's let's get into some of the characters. I already kind of you know mentioned the way they ad- adapted uh, Adam Strange, but we spent a significant amount of time with Robin in season one, and they do a great fake out um, in the fight with Clayface. 
where Robin steps out of the shadows, but it's not the Robin that you think it is. It's a completely different outfit. The hairline's different, and then the voice is different. And uh, it's the Tim Drake version of, of Robin, and we find that the Robin that we spent time with has graduated to the role of Nightwing. And still being voiced by Jesse McCartney, doing a great job. This is the Dick Grayson version of the character. Um, he has certainly stepped up into a leadership role, but we find that he has declined... Uh, membership into the league forthright even though there's apparently an open invitation for him uh i know i know this is one of your favorite characters so why don't you kind of take the lead on this one zuhair uh like i've said in the past i don't really keep up with the comic book stuff too much but in my attempt of reading at one point i noticed that nightwing has a new look and where it's just like kind of like a V like that goes down his shoulders that's either like red or blue never been a fan of that so i like that they stuck with his awesome logo and they took away the the mullet from the animated series and actually gave him like that shruggy hair so it's like the design of like his armor and everything is fantastic i like that he's double wielding the batons more because he really didn't see that outside of his fight with batman in the last season Mm -hmm. i guess he realized how proficient he was with it uh so the armor looks great i like the role that he's in how he has the league's respect in a really high regard right now. I even put in my notes for episode three, It's it was an interesting thing to see him giving orders to Superman, Aquaman, and Batman. Ooh, yeah, that's a great catch. And it wasn't like, oh, hey, the kid's telling me what to do. It was Batman telling the other ones, you heard what he said, get to it. Uh, so you see that level of authority that he has, the level of respect that he has between the league and his new teammates. I guess he's like the den mother now, like he takes <laughs> over uh, Red Tornado's role. Yeah, that's. I think that's pretty accurate. But he still has, you know, the the quippy attitude. He's still like goofy and whatnot. But as I'm sure you've gotten a hint on, a lot of things have happened in the last five years. And his mission focus is something that he just doesn't mess with now. Mm, yeah. There are no no whelm jokes. He is still as, as quippy as he ever was, but there are no whelm jokes. We do get that, that great moment at the uh, the end of episode one. There's this great uh, interaction between uh, Nightwing and the Tim Drake version of Robin where uh, he basically kind of puts him in charge of his own little squad. And it's very reminiscent of a lot of the experiences that uh, you know Robin had in season one being you know having his first opportunity to lead a team out in the field and whatnot and uh at the end of the episode it's and again the the entire imagery with the whole league descending down upon these like three pretty fresh uh young heroes and you think it's going to be this like feeling of disappointment but then uh nightwing just smiles and says way to get your feet wet kid i was like I'm glad that you brought that up because that was that was a huge thing. I love that it was the exact callback to season one where it was the Gamma Team. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They were like, Gamma Team gets all the lay missions, the soft <laughs> missions. And they were the ones who found the headquarters and had to like, they, they almost died there. It was just oh, the yeah. three of them, uh, Blue Beetle, Lagan, and Tim Drake's Robin. Mm-hmm. And at the end, like you said, everybody showed up because they managed to survive like the biggest thing that happened that day. And it was just like, nice work, kid. 
yeah. great callback. It was yeah. so well done. I, I loved it. I loved it. And, I mean, beyond all that, you mentioned the suit. I mean, in five years, the the guy has gone from a, a boy wonder to a, a man. He is he is a physically yeah. imposing Wonder man. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, yeah, Tim, Tim Drake was really impressive, too. I, I put in my notes, I was like, Tim must have had one or two incredible mentors because, damn, he's quick on his feet. Like, mm-hmm. his decision-making skills were on point. He wasn't scared to sacrifice his life if it meant like saving the captor, um, the abductees, the, the prisoners. Yeah, yeah, the abductees. Yeah, I was like, captors isn't the word. <laughs> uh, the abductees and whatnot. So he's quick on his feet. He communicates with his team really well. Combat proficiency is fantastic. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it was it was really cool seeing. I mean, you don't. We don't know how long he's been on the team, right? I want to say about a year or two because it's something else. I don't want to distract from this, and I'll talk about later. But um, yeah, like I don't think he's been here long, but he's been learning pretty quick. Yeah, without a doubt, he's definitely very, very proficient, and uh, it's actually you know, outside of that that mission with Gamma Squad, I feel like some of the most significant time we get to spend with him is uh, is in Episode Three. And it, it's just kind of a, a really nice uh, sequence for the entire Bat family. You get to see the Bat family perform like a stealth infiltration together, and they all like do their thing. There's Batgirl there, there's Tim Drake, Robin, there's Nightwing, and of course you got Bat. Bat. I was gonna. Say, of course he's Batman, but forgive me. I was gonna say Bat Daddy. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that scene had me so giddy. Like seeing all four of them together was like. This is so cool. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And man, the way they worked together was really neat too. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. Like Batman put the opening blow, Nightwing passed it on, and the other two like one came from underneath the bridge, and the other went out the door and just like hit him together. And then they hit that maneuver seven, which was a callback from the last season too. Ooh, yeah, I didn't catch that. Good, good. Yeah, it's always the same move. One person has their hands out, they jump on the foot and throw them up. But nice. it's something that like constantly comes up. And maneuver seven is like the one thing they frequently use. And um, seeing the mix between how the Bat family works and it how it translates into how the team works throughout these five six years has been really neat yeah yeah uh well i feel like that's a, a good opportunity to go ahead and uh highlight or actually you know um on this while we're still talking about the 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 robins in the bat family i'll, I'll go back to nightwing for a second um because going back to episode three outside of his you know that awesome uh sequence that we just discussed he gets a really uh nice moment with uh this and it breaks my heart to bring this up you you talked about at the top of the show we do get to spend some time with a long-standing aquaman villain black manta but there is a heartbreaking reveal in this episode that the leader of our team in season one aqualad aka calderam has defected to the enemy and yeah yeah so nightwing gets this really poignant moment with him uh, where, you know, he had just confronted the entire, uh, the entire team going up against him and he drops down to escape and Nightwing is waiting for him there. And it's like, you can tell that he is prepared 
to fight his old friend, but his his mission was a diplomatic, and he wanted to he wanted to bring his friend back. And you know, one of the major threads of uh, season one was that Dick Grayson wanted to be like Batman, but it was important to both of them that he not become Batman. And I think that compassion. And that, uh, that motivation there was really telling. And I, I'm, I, that's a, a thread I'm going to be clo- yeah, excuse me. That's a thread I'm going to be paying close attention to. Um, I really, I, I, I'm on the subject Nightwing here, but it, I mean, I have to bring up Calderon. I, I really hope he gets a, a redemptive arc here because he was one of my favorite characters coming out of season one. You still like him. I do. No, no. He, he, he... <laughs> you said was. <laughs> I'm glad you mentioned up that point of like wanting to be like Batman initially and changes. I feel like that new perspective that Dick developed is what made Tim as good as he is. Mm. Because you see that, that bleeding effect of him caring about people right off the bat. Mm-hmm. And him having that effort of knowing how to work with the team efficiently. And I feel like when Dick was training him, that was a big part of how he was. He, that There was that essence that he developed of not wanting to be exactly like Batman that bled off to him. Sure. I don't think Batman would ever admit it, but I feel like there's a part that actually kind of like went into the way Batman operates too. Okay. Could be, could not. I do like the way that Batman cares about his little family yeah like he was really worried about their well-being he's like i feel like you guys have the harder fight here than we do out there right uh that was really really heartfelt moment and this was the first time we saw batgirl since that barbara gordon uh hint that i mentioned to you at gotham academy in season one right yeah that was just she was like what was that about who was that she was like we'll laugh about it someday (laughs) exactly yeah no uh yeah like like i mentioned and, and you mentioned when we first started doing the show, nothing is without purpose. And even the small, small little moments like that come back to pay off. So that's a good opportunity to go ahead and transition into, uh, Batgirl herself. Uh, is it, I guess, re- refresh my memory, I, I guess across that Gotham Academy, um, appearance in season one, we pretty much get confirmation that this is the Barbara Gordon version of, of Batgirl, right? Yeah. Okay. Okay. So uh, she didn't get the most uh, screen time in in these particular set of episodes, but her moments are impactful. She got uh, outside of the already aforementioned uh, stealth inf- infiltration with the rest of her Bat family. She, in the opening episode, uh, she actually gets to go head-to-head. We mentioned how being the subtitle Invasion, everything is on a more galactic scale. We actually get one of the more galactic characters uh from the dc universe in lobo who's basically a a cosmic biker guy cosmic biker bounty hunter um so she gets she gets the opportunity to get a really cool uh excuse me she gets the opportunity to get a really cool action sequence with wonder girl where they take on uh lobo and i i got a lot of uh men in black vibes from this this scene i don't know if you're a a fan of that particular there's actually uh not to spin off too much here but maybe down the road there's actually a really really good uh men in black animated series that came out in between the first and and second film that may have been what i watched more than the movies i'm (laughs) good i knew i was in good company um did you did you have anything you want to highlight uh for barbara you kind of already mentioned the 
uh, not that. too much. I yeah. think she's kind of like she's she's aware of what she's capable of. Yeah. So she knew that Wonder Girl was with her. She's like, hey, I'm going to work on getting the official out of here. You got the muscles. Take care of that part. And I will be as stealthy as I can in go. my escape. Yeah. That's, I mean, a showcasing um, of her intelligence and teamwork, yeah, so. Yeah, there's there's not really too much about her to say about her at this point. Yeah, well. It's I'm, it's one of those things where they were more, more highlighting that there are new people and where our familiar characters are heading. Um, so we, we got 17 episodes to go. Yeah. Well, uh, a character that I would, I would probably relate her to in a lot of ways, uh, that I just mentioned that she had the action sequence with was wonder girl. Um, it's another, this new member of the team that we didn't necessarily spend a ton of time with, but I felt like the moments that she did get were super impactful and super telling. So, uh, <laughs> in that action sequence with Lobo, I, I love the, uh, he kept calling her a Kesey Fem, and she's like, Kesey Fem? Yeah, I've been called worse. <laughs> I think. <laughs> I think, right? <laughs> that was so adorable of her, and then, like, she's trying to be tough, and she's just like, wait a minute, what does that mean? <laughs> like, I hate to say it, forgive me for using this term specifically, but it's like she had her blonde moment at oh, the same yeah. time. Yeah, no, you're good. I <laughs> But my favorite scene for her was um, when she was watching Wonder Woman, like, just kick ass. Oh, yes. And I was like, man, she's being such a fangirl right now. <laughs> and that's exactly what Diana said when she was blocking the blast. She was like, less fangirl, more Wonder Girl. Right, right, yeah. And then you see her step up, and I was like, this is so cool. I love seeing everybody with their mentors. Yeah, that was a, a particularly great moment, too, in terms of showcasing the action. Because, like, right before that, we saw the reason she was in such awe is because Wonder Woman was basically able to, like, lift one of these Krolotean. Uh, Krolo- Krolotean, yes. I wrote it down. It's, it's more difficult to, uh, unless you're hearing it spoken out loud. So I'm glad you got the pronunciation there. Krolotean. I may have been practicing that before we recorded. <laughs> uh, I don't doubt it. Um, yeah. Anyway, she uses the lasso of truth to basically lift one of these Krolotean tanks and, and slam it. Where when uh, Wonder Girl attempts to do the same, she doesn't have the same level of strength. So instead she snaps the head off. But then she basically uses that as a projectile to launch right back at. I was like, "Oh <laughs> hell yeah, this is awesome!" So, and then Diana, and we talked about this. Sorry, go ahead. I was Finish just going to say, Diana cracks a smile. She doesn't give any words of affirmation, but she smiles and she's like, "All right, she approves." It's like I know I'm cool. <laughs> <laughs> what were you saying though? Uh, we established off of our recording that since these Krolotanes are thieves, apparently they stole the cannons off Tie Fighters because they sound exactly the same. <laughs> Yes, yes, they did. Yeah, um, that was on, Star Wars universe confirmed. <laughs> yeah, that was uh, in the second episode in particular. They're on the jungle planet of Ranagar, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, um, those same tanks were used in that final fight in episode three. Yeah, I, I guess this is kind of a good opportunity to kind of. I, I feel like we the should Mechas, lay out some of the the like plot lines. So I mentioned Adam Strange at the top. Apparently, what's what's happened is the same uh, technology that they've been using to, uh, you know, teleport the various places that the league needs to go has been uh, stolen by the this race of uh, thieving thieving beings called the Krolateans and. Uh, Adam Strange accidentally gets transported to the planet of Ran, where he comes in contact with a Ranian scientist who is actually working 
on teleportation technology, even though it's forbidden in that region. And uh, that's where we actually get the through line that we find out what happened. <clears throat> where we get the through line and we find out what happened during these 16 hours that the six leaguers were missing. And just to kind of recap, uh, those those members were Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, Martian Manhunter, Hot Girl, and the Jon Stewart version of Green Lantern. So certainly not any uh, uh, lack of heavy hitters by any means there. So, And apparently they just they just rampaged on a uh, planet called Rim, Rimbon? Rimbon? Rimbon. Okay. Yeah. So that's kind of the the th- thrust going forward. Uh, they, the various teams have split up to either hunt down the Krolotans or travel to the planet. Rimbor. Of Sorry. Rimbor. Didn't okay. Rimbor. No, no, you're good. You're good. Thanks for that correction. The planet of Rimbor. Uh, but as I was saying, yeah, it's it's basically that's the main narrative thrust going forward. The teams, uh, the team is divided up into squads that are either hunting down Krolotaeans on Earth or traveling to the planet of Ran to, um, you know, assist this uh, this doctor. Uh, so, yeah, Vandal kind of lives up to his name of being a savage and, like, yeah. just getting the leak to just kill people. Pretty much, yeah. I mean, th- this was a Cartoon Network show, so they're not going to straight up say that they were killing people, but it's like, they got blood on their hands. That's yeah. really dark when you actually think about it. Yeah, no, you get they don't obviously don't go too gratuitous with it, but you do get that scene of them basically laying waste to entire yeah. you know civilizations. Uh, and then the other thing, I like the little hint of when they said that they sent uh, Hal Jordan and got was a guy Gardner Green Lanterns to like make sure that they knew that they were coming in peace and that they were going there to get a free trial and all that to show. The relationship right. that they have with the whole Lantern Corps within the other regions as well. Right, yeah, because John Stewart obviously couldn't go himself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but, and then I guess the other thing about it was, is while they were under Vandal Savage control and doing these things, they basically broadcast to everybody, hey, we are the Justice League, we are from Earth. So yeah. that's what got them outla- outlawed in this entire region of space and brought the brought them to the Krolotaeans' attention in the first place. Um, so... We do get these various teams. Um, one of the teams that's uh, definitely worth highlighting that we, we already spoke on, the person that was leading those teams, Tim Drake's Robin, he leads uh, Gamma Gamma Squad, and that features a couple of new players that I had a, a lot of fun with. Um, I won't say they're my favorite characters, but they're certainly fun characters. We get... Now, help me on the pronunciation here again. Is it Lagan? Yeah, Lagan. Okay, Lagan, a.k.a. Lagoon Boy, who is obviously a full-fledged Atlantean with the gills and the catfish-like features and, and everything. Very cool characters design. Very interesting to look at. And then we get Miss the... Miss Martian's into that kind of thing, too. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's definitely worth noting. Um, yeah, let's go ahead and get into him. I was going to mention Blue Beetle as well, but let's go ahead and dive into um, Lagan. Or, I just... Lagan. <laughs> when I heard Mag- you're saying lagoon, it's lagan. When I heard Mag- lagoon, Mag- when I heard Magan, I can't help it. Magan, Magan. It's just I can't help myself. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. He's uh he's apparently the new fill in for the uh, Aquaman uh, minty or sidekick, if you will. They don't like being called that. Um, 
And he's got uh, this relationship with uh, Miss Martian that we don't get too, too deep into, but he, uh, apparently one of his terms of endearment for her is angelfish, which which I appreciate. That's kind of cute. Um, yeah. I do feel like they kind of set the character up to be extremely unlikable in the fact that we were coming off of season one, we were used to seeing Superboy and McGann together. And then there's like, okay, who's this guy? Yeah. Uh, he's a new member of the team, number one, and he's kind of butting into this relationship. And then he was kind of talking crap about being on Gamma Squad as well. So it's kind of like, who is this cocksure fish face dude exactly? Yep. Yeah. I do love the level of respect he has for Aquaman as well. Like, the the douchey tone that he has with everybody else, like, really goes out the window or out the submarine mm-hmm. when it comes to talking to his king. That's true. Yeah, he does. He's very, uh, he evokes Calderon from season one when he's like, together my king, and they force open the the door there. And then when they actually confront Caldor, he, whereas, you know, the other people were kind of willing to, uh, uh, even Aquaman's like, I didn't believe it was true and, and uh, when Nightwing told me, but now that I'm seeing it with my own eyes. And Legan's just kind of like, mm, let's hey, cut the crap. This guy's a traitor. This dude betrayed my king. Yeah. Like, let's take him out. So, uh, which isn't, you know, I think he kind of, nah, I, I, I'm kind of struggling for what I was going to say there. He, he didn't really voice how I was feeling. He voiced the passion that I was feeling. I really did feel betrayed by yeah. Calder. But uh, like I said, I, I want to see that redemp- redemptive arc first and foremost. But, um, Well, we mentioned McGann. Uh, do you want to go ahead and, and tackle her? She's definitely a character that we got to actually spend a little more significant time with. Can we bring up one last thing for oh, Calderon? Please. Can we talk about the fact that he's really upset at the fact that Tula got killed? Yes, yes. And we... that she was an Aqua girl for a while? Yes, yeah. That just We get that backstory entirely through dialogue. Yeah, good catch. Because um, I knew that happened, and I thought that it was mentioned later in the series, so I was really happy that they brought it up early so I could mention it, but it's yeah. like, we knew how much love he had for that character, and like I said, like that's anything that felt like a filler episode in season one was like, no, we're building for future things, and this is one of those things we understand the the affection he had for her, and the fact that he was so hurt and so betrayed for an event that caused her death and to find out that I totally forgot about this that Aquaman was hiding from him his parents that Black Manta was his father right right and that was one of the things with my limited comic book knowledge I, I actually did know that about the character so I didn't uh, it still didn't make <laughs> the uh, the reveal any less effective for me it was kind of like a feeling of dread like I just assumed it was the regular Black Manta because we uh, we saw him once, yeah, in the same episode that we got to see uh, Caldor return home and get to spend some time in Atlantis, and we got to see Garth and Tula, and, you know, um, he was feeling, you know, torn between the two worlds. He doesn't feel mm-hmm. torn anymore. He's pretty dedicated to the current cause, and it's, I, I mean, I can only describe it as heartbreaking. The I, I always praise, you know, the animators and, and the animation style, and the um, I do feel like in season two, some of the, um, I appreciate that they've made some of the designs a little more distinct. I feel like you can tell the difference between some characters more, but I, I want to bring up the voice acting. He did such a good job, such an incredible job of, of, of 
broadcasting that heartbreak. Like I, I really felt for him when he's like, how dare you question me when you're the people that let Tula die? Yeah. And he, yeah. I mean, he's a really composed character too. So for him to have an outburst like that, especially true. when he's in like commander mode too, was just, man, it was, it was heart heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. He sounds really cool in the helmet. Yeah, he does. He um, does. but I do have to say, I the that the episode that you mentioned, I think when we were recording, you were like, "Oh, in the comics, isn't that his father or something?" And I was like, "Just keep watching, just keep watching." Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, was there anything else you wanted to hit on with with uh, Calder there? Yeah. No, we can move over to McGann. Okay. Right on. Break my heart. <laughs> well, speaking of heartbreakers, um, they did a good job of. I, I I'll just go ahead and say from the top. Uh, I think when we bring up the character of Megan, we're probably going to end up discussing both Superboy and Beast Boy. So uh, those will probably be natural transitions there. But um, you know, coming off of speaking about. Lagoon Boy, I'm going to call him that so I don't say his name wrong again. <laughs> <laughs> um, obviously, uh, I mean, one of the major through lines for her character in this set of episodes is she is assigned to Zeta Squad, which gets to go to Rand, or not Rand, uh, Ran. And she, you know, she serves, she's always one of the most uh, critical characters in terms of power level, and we got that hinted to a lot in season one in terms of her ability as a psychic and whatnot, but just in terms of being on an alien planet and having that ability to, uh, you know, instantly translate and Adam strange, a guy who had spent months trying to build the smallest level of communication with these, these people, suddenly the doors are blown wide open and they are able to have like full on conversations and, uh, really cool to see. Um, he misses the charades though. <laughs> yeah um outside of the the functionality that she's she serves on the team uh i think it's pretty clear that she still has some feelings for connor and it's played at the beginning that she is you know fully invested in her relationship with uh legan 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 i'm gonna keep trying until i get it right legan she's fully invested in her relationship with legan but as the episodes kind of transpire where Superboy was kind of shown to be the one that was not over it and maybe in a worse place, we find out that he was actually the one that broke up with her. And as she spends more time with him on this mission, she shows more and more affection with him. Like, especially when she got knocked out and she comes to, I mean, he is the one that rescues her, but the way she says Connor, like definitely struck a chord with me. Like that wasn't just a, you know, that was, there was love in, in that. Um, oh, for sure. Yeah. Well, did, uh, did you have anything else you want to say about McGann before we move on to like her relationship with Beast Boy? Um, the the important thing of she's getting really cocky with the fact that yes, she has so. these immense psychic powers because she interrogated two Crolatanes to the point that they were comatose after. Yes, I'm very glad that was insane. Like, I'm not Mm -hmm. a big fan of those things, but the way they screamed and just started drooling and were like practically brain dead afterwards, like Batman was trying to explain the situation just like, just oh yeah, let me just 
mind fuck him real quick. And, like, that was a little hard. And you see Connor infuriated by that. So this isn't a first-time thing. Right. It was very reminiscent of what she did to Simon back in Season 1 where they had the mental mental scape battle and she basically blew mm-hmm. a hole through his chest in the mental scape or uh, the astral plane, what have you. And when he came back, he was basically reduced to that catonic state. So very glad that you, you brought that up. That is certainly something to pay attention to. And as much as Connor is infuriated... Um, I noticed uh, Alana, who is the alien, uh, um, she's a uh, inhabitant of, of Rand. She's uh, Zardak's daughter, who accompanies them on this mission as kind of their um, their jungle guide. She is she is visibly horrified by what sure. uh, McGann does to that Crolotean. Uh, so connor even says at one point she was like i can do this by myself he was like can you mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. i do need to come with you because exactly. i don't trust you right now so right. yeah this definitely isn't the first probably last time thing this thing has happened yeah well we'll have to keep an eye on that i mean we got I, yeah i'd kind of be remiss if i didn't mention the fact that batman stated that i think martian manhunter had been working at it for a significant amount of time and was only able to establish like he was still having a hard time just doing basic translation and she's able to like knock it out and yeah before he's done finishing his sentence so we knew yeah, she was she a much found more out than... she found out that he was the officer that bribed the dude that found out about like what the justice league did and she got so much information like mm-hmm. she got information from stuff that happened 5 years ago mm-hmm. yeah yeah she's She's certainly going to be one to keep an eye on. She's uh, certainly got a lot of pathos and, uh, I don't know. Uh, she does, She does. as much as I, we talk about, like, kind of the conflicted nature there, she does seem a lot more sure of herself than she did in season one, even not yeah. being in the relationship with, with Connor and, and knowing that she was dumped by him. Uh, he said it was for her own good, so I, I'm kind of curious to see where that goes. But she's got the shorter hairdo. She seems more um, comfortable on Earth. and uh, She's comfortable in leadership positions, too. Yeah, that too. That too. It's awesome to see. Yeah. Uh, but one of my favorite, favorite, favorite things across these three episodes, like standout moment for me in the entire show, Um she's got this relationship with beast boy and like I'm familiar with the character of beast boy. He's been a long standing member of the teen Titans, So he's obviously got yes, this associated sir. with he's yeah, he's got this association with, uh, young heroes in the DC universe, but they do. And, uh, I guess I should say, uh, I should say at the top, the reason I bring this up is because McGann has this relationship with beast boy. It's a brother sister relationship, which I should have picked up on. But they do this reveal so freaking well, and the hints are so subtle that when the moment finally happens, oh my goodness, it was so freaking well done. Like, my jaw dropped, and I was like, oh, how did I not see this coming? There were all these little hints here the whole entire time, and, like, the build-up to it is so great. Like, she just comes up behind him and hugs him, and I'm like, oh, this is, like, really affectionate between team members i'm like i never remembered uh like beast boy having this relationship with uh miss martian that in any other series and it's like he goes down to the waterfall and freezes up and she reads his mind and we find out boom he is gar 
from season one, that episode image when they were in Bialia and we find out why she says hello, Megan in the first place. And yeah. Oh my goodness. Uh, her blood transfusion that caused his eyes to change color gave him his powers. That's how he got beast boys eh, beast boy in this universe. That is so freaking cool. And I, I love it so much. I was so worried that I was going to give it away when I told you a few episodes. Like, hey, did you notice his eyes turned green after the transfusion? You were like, oh, yeah, interesting. That's something I can track. I'm like, okay, cool. I didn't ruin it for him. <laughs> oh, man. And, they, yeah, they just they hit it so well because, like, he has this habit of kind of, like, um, existing in this, like, half-human, half-monkey form where he gets these long, shaggy sideburns. And he's got the tail and everything like that with you, that you want with Beast Boy. You kind of want him to lean into the Beast side of it. But when he has that, that moment where he's he's kind of reflecting on what happens to his mom, he completely reverts back to that little boy state. And other than the fact that he's green, he, he looks just like Garth did. And, uh, man, he's even just across three episodes, he's, he's such a, a great character already. He's, he's the little brother. He's I love how he is. Uh, as much as I'm missing Kid Flash, it's nice to see him step into that role as the uh, as the person who collects souvenirs. Yeah. So, yeah. Nightwing, Nightwing, look what I got. I mean, you mentioned um, the monkey. I do have to pull the line when Superboy was like, you might change my mind about monkeys yet. Dude, that was... And then chucks this gorilla into a bunch of turrets, and I was like, this is so cool. Yeah, that was an incredible moment, because it it played so well, because uh, what what does he say? He's like, you game? He's like, oh, I'm big game, and he throws him up to the ship, and I'm like, if they don't say something about hating monkeys here in the next couple seconds, I'm going to be a little disappointed. And then, boom, just like you said, you might change my, my mind about monkeys yet, kid. And I, I still love the fact that it, he still refers to apes as monkeys, even though apes are clearly not monkeys. Yep. <laughs> um, I like that, that Beast Boy was studying the Ran species as well. Yes. And, like, tr- um, transforming into those because when they were in disguise on the train like he was just one of the native birds right right that little like lizard bird thing (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah it was definitely cool and then him being the little kid that he is like rushes into the jungle and sees a pretty flower and almost dives headfirst into like some acidic quicksand which caught on fire yeah yeah which comes back to play they they're able to use that to their advantage and basically disable uh one of the Crolotean tanks that way so nice little no small uh, moments yeah they always do those those sweet little moments like that but uh uh just kind of perusing through uh well we mentioned uh superboy in terms of his relationship to mcgann and he was uh certainly a member of this zeta squad um he had that moment with beast boy there that was that was pretty great but we get uh, another reveal with him uh, during his time on this alien planet. He gets a nice character moment with uh, Alana, the daughter of Sardak, where she's like, uh, "How she can tell that there was a relationship between him and McGann. She's like, oh, how long were you guys together? And he, you know, being the kind of cold and uh, distant character that he typically is, kind of rebuffs her, but then she kind of says exactly what needs to be said. Hey, you're never going to see me again, and chances are we won't even be able to communicate if we did. If ever there was a confidant, it's me. So, really cool character moment. We get uh, the reveal that he can't physically age 
as a yeah. uh, side effect of his his cloning, which he describes as a a blessing and his curse. It's like, oh yeah, you're stuck looking this good um, <laughs> for all your days. So. <laughs> I, I I didn't pick up on was that part of the reason that he chose to break it off with McGann because she is obviously physically matured, even though what was it last uh, season we found out she was what a a forty seven year old in was that is that right thirty seven forty seven something around. Yeah, I think she was close to her 50s. Okay, okay. Yeah. So she's probably, like, in her 50s now. Could have yeah. been a five-year gap. Yeah. But was the was the physical, physical aging, was that an aspect of why he broke up? Was that, was that, I don't know. Am it's, I... just, it's just something we'll see as we go. Oh, okay, okay. Fair enough. <laughs> Wait, wasn't there a, I, I feel like there was a joke in the last season about, like, oh, it makes sense you guys are dating because she's a shapeshifter. Hmm... I, don't know, I vaguely remember something like that. Okay, but okay. yeah, there's there's a lot to it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, well, I think that that kind of covers. Was there anything else you want to say about Superboy? Uh he. We finally get to see him work side by side with Superman. Yeah, great relationship. He yes. calls him his little brother. Hell yes, yes, so good. He, he pulls a triple threat, and I mean, like he's just kind of like, all right, yeah, I can't fly, and Superman just chucks him like, hey, into Superman. the mecha tanks and knocks out for him. He's like, ooh, a quad. Great job. Yeah. like, triple combo. It's like, quadruple combo. Nice. <laughs> I also, um, it's not Superboy, but I love that moment when Cauldron was about to fire the missile at Dick and Superman okay. just casually just, like, flings right in front of it. Yep, yep. And then, uh, um, I, I'm, I'm just really happy for them that they finally get to, like, start oh. developing a relationship. Definitely. After season one, it was, I, I mentioned it a few times, it was so weird and kind of off-putting to see this, like, version of Superman that was just not having anything to do with, with Connor. Yeah. And did I, did I hear this wrong? Did he call him Con-L? I was just about to bring that up, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that was so good. Yeah, it's like, basically, yeah, he called him little brother, but he has, like, fully accepted him as a member of his family. That's that's awesome. Yeah. yeah. It's really beautiful moments. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The show's full of them, so, again, thanks for your stellar recommendation. Um, I think that, that kind of hits everybody for Zeta team, unless I'm la- leaving anybody off the table you want to hit. Uh, I cut you off when you wanted to bring up Blue Beetle. Oh, yeah, I was kind of going to circle back to him being a member of uh, uh, Gamma Squad, and we spent more time with him in the first episode, but then we also got a little... Um, scene with him in the opening of uh, episode three, but this was a character that I had a little more familiarity with as well as in terms of like the new people. Um, there have been okay, not you. That's a, not me. Uh, Blue Beetle is a legacy character. There have been uh, three different versions of him throughout the comic runs. Ted Cord was kind of the first one and the most prominent one. There have been lots of uh, references to Cord. Um, in the Arrowverse, Industries? I can't. Yeah, Cord Industries, exactly. You'd see the crates for Cord Industries and stuff like that sprinkled throughout the the Arrowverse and whatnot. But uh, Jaime Reyes is the most recent uh, version of Blue Beetle, and he's definitely the most far out there. Uh, his his power set basically, and this is probably something I, I'm sure they'll dive into the show, so I, I won't spend too too much time on it. But I know his powers are derived from basically an alien scarab that. Uh, found its way to earth and so you get these <laughs> these awesome moments where he's like talking to himself and like he, he even uh he even like makes robin tim drake robin look uncomfortable for a second he's like can we trust this guy he's basically having an <laughs> argument with himself um 
But he, he's... No, it would not have been wiser to neutralize him when we were in the cafe. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I feel like he, he's definitely kind of filling that um, that Kid Flash role where Beast Boy was being the, the souvenir aspect of that character. Blue Beetle has definitely got a lot of a lot of good laughs. I love the banner between him and uh, <sighs> Lagoon Boy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Why am I having such a time with Lagan? There you go. Lagan. Lagan. I got it. Um, the banter between them in terms of like how easy or difficult the mission was supposed to be was pretty great. And Yeah. Uh, yeah. Just cool to see some of these more out there characters uh, brought into the fold. What, what were some of your key takeaways from uh, Blue Beetle? You, you, you said you weren't familiar with the character at all. Yeah, I didn't know anything about him beforehand, but I'm pretty sure that was my thought, too. It's like, is he talking to somebody inside of the suit? Like, is there an AI or something running in there that, like, why doesn't he just tell the team that there's somebody he's talking to? Like, that seems to be, like, a weird thing that his his teammates don't know about if it's something he's been dealing with for a while. Right, right. But, yeah, it's cool. It's very cyborg-like where weapons kind of come out when he needs it, and Mm -hmm. he can scan and fly and shoot and... He can change languages just off of a little bit of analysis. But oh, yeah. My, yeah, my big thing off of him was that when the Krolateans saw him, they were terrified. There's good something catch. about the Scarab that they're familiar with. Yes. Yeah, that's a good catch because, yeah. Uh, Lagan is down there on the ground saying, they don't like you, man. I'm a little jealous. And then he's yeah. like, <laughs> he has a little miscommunication with the, uh, the Scarab. And he's like, what was that? He's like, come on, man. I said I was jealous. Don't make me say it again. It's <laughs> like, no, I'm not talking to you. Um, yeah, uh, I think that covers most of the major players. Um, we did I'm get getting intro- my universes mixed up. I know it's not Wasp. What was his partner's name in that? Opening oh yeah, episode? I was I was gonna bring her up. Yeah, so we uh, that I feel Bumblebee. Like the, yeah, Bumblebee. I do feel like we hit most of the major players, but we did get some smatterings and some uh, introductions to some some other new members of the team. And yeah, Bumblebee was uh, a cool one. She definitely does evoke feelings of Wasp. And um, I, there was a brief second where I, I thought she was Rocket for a second until we saw Rocket again and knew that Rocket was now on the league. But but, a, but Bumblebee's another one that we've seen before. Did we? Her her and the big guy that she was with that was like, hey, so you want to hang out? And I was like, no, I got to work with Dr. Palmer, which I know is Adam. So I Correct. was really happy when I caught that reference. Yes. That um, so reference. you can tell because of her shrinking ability, she's worked with uh, Dr. Palmer before. And probably it's where uh, the suit came from. I but she pretty... showed up in the Halloween episode, and when Megan was auditioning for Cheerleader, she okay. was the girl. So the guy initially was wearing a Superman shirt, and Connor yes. was like pissed about it, and she oh. was actually like dressed up as a bumblebee or whatever for okay, okay, for Halloween. Good catch, good catch. Yes, yeah, I, I remember the guy a little bit more because he did have that that moment with Superboy, where Superboy gave him the stink eye. <laughs> Yeah, uh, he was like because he said what Superboy Superman done right or something like that. I think is what he said. Uh, I think he called himself Black Superman. <laughs> what was it? that character's name? Was uh was it Cade or Cave? He he basically kind of served as like the Oracle, where he was the the guy in the chair, kind of you know, um, communicating between the various squads. Because we found out you know, Alpha, 
Alpha and uh, Alpha and Beta Squad, you know, accomplish their their missions pretty easily, which is why Gamma Squad ended up becoming the vocal point vocal point for us. But she was a member of the the team that uh, Beta Squad consisted of Bumblebee, Batgirl, and Wolf. And uh, I guess they investigated Crotaloans in uh, Vladivostok, which is a country I'm not familiar with, but maybe we'll spend some more time there. Nice to see Wolf. Wolf uh, seemed like he's he's gotten a little bit older because I noticed there was that moment where Superboy was returning and while uh, McGann and uh, Le- Legon. There you go. <laughs> I don't know why that's so difficult for me, especially after saying <laughs> McGann. That's the worst one to do it after. Uh <laughs> Basically, after they, you know, they were making out, and he walks past. Uh, Wolf goes to rise, but then he just kind of slumps back down when he sees nobody's acknowledging. Yeah. Him. Like, oh, you're you're an old dog now. Oh, He's bad. running on doggy ears. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I'm I'm definitely curious to spend more time with those characters. They're not ones that I'm familiar with any in any capacity whatsoever. So, um, yeah, just the show really has uh, opened the doors wide open, and it's kind of like. As much as we saw the team have that natural progression where they got to interact with the league more and more as they became their own, it's like, okay, we did that in Season 1. Now we are just, like, in the DC universe. This team is an established thing that frequently works with the Justice League. Yeah, so really excited to to see where it goes from here. Um, I'm just going to kind of peruse my notes and make sure there wasn't any... Oh, okay, yeah, I'm glad I did that because (laughs) Lobo... Lobo in episode one mentions that he's completing a tra- uh, contract for the main man, and then we hear the Crotalans say again, "The main Crotalans. man." What I say? You said Crotalans. It's Crotalans. <laughs> oh man, I'm on a tear there. I have the episode guide up, and it's like written in blue, so I have like a visual reference on the uh, order. That's but... hilarious. <laughs> I've got it up too. I'm still messing up. I've got it written <laughs> down as well. <laughs> uh, where was I even going with that? Okay, yeah, yeah. They mentioned the main, um, the main man and the competitor as well, and that's something that rubs them the wrong way. So I imagine as much as the light, which actually ends up popping up again, I'll get back more on that later, uh, I'm curious to see who this main man is, why Lobo was working with him, and why the Crolotaeans, not Crotolans... <laughs> Are uh, are so scared of this uh, this benefactor? Yeah, I saw it. I wondered about it. I wrote it on my notes to ask you, and before we started recording, I remembered what it was. I was like, I'm just gonna let Jay Scotty speculate. Okay, okay. Um, I don't. I know Lobo is is an antihero, um, in the comics. So I'm I'm trying to rack my brain here. Who could the main man be? I'm just going to go out on a limb and I'm going to say... I'm going to go Sinestro. Because okay. I think there is the fact that the league the league members are going. Um, I guess that's a good opportunity to kind of say where we, we left off on these three episodes. We've already kind of mentioned the six leaguers that have been accused of these heinous galactic crimes all depart to go take place in, in a trial. Um... I'm I'm, I'm guessing, so. and that involves the Green Lantern Corps and, or excuse me, the Lantern uh, Corps in general, as well as the Guardians, uh, or the Guardians of the Universe. Yeah, I, yeah. I have no idea who the Guardians of the Universe are, too. So I was okay. like, so there's this group and the Green Lantern Corps. Yeah, 
So I'm just, I know in the past, uh, Sinestro has kind of been a thorn in the side and, and those kind of things. So that's just my guess right now. Nothing really solid to, to found that on other than the fact that it's got to be a, a cosmic intergalactic threat. Um, but on that, on that note, um, on the subject of the leaguers going to space, another, another thing I picked up on is Wonder Woman just kind of casually says, apparently Icon has experience with galactic trials. So, yeah, I, I don't know too much about Icon. Nor he do had I. Some di- he had some yeah. dialogue in the last two episodes of last season too, where it's just like, "What do you do exactly?" <laughs> yeah, I know uh, he is uh, one of those characters that, if I'm not mistaken, um, transitioned from. Uh, I, I guess I, I probably shouldn't speak on it because I can't remember the name of the of the comic line, but it's basically the same comic line that did um, like static shock and stuff like that they were able to incorporate those characters into the dc universe after the fact i think he is the first of those characters if i'm not mistaken but outside of that i I, unfortunately i don't know too much about the character other than he's kind of a superman type as hinted in um season one where i guess they said superman thought he was a kryptonian at first yeah so i just pulled up his his fandom article okay icon is a superhero of extraterrestrial origin partner and mentor to rocket and a member of the justice league powers include super strength flight and vulnerability and pulse blasts okay Hmm. flight and vulnerability super strength and what was it pulse blasts yeah okay interesting i mean that being said if you need to transition to anything Rocket and Zatanna are Justice League members now. Yeah, no, I, I love those characters, and uh, they were kind of late additions to the team in season one. So, um, nice to see them graduate, and you know, uh, be given that that recognition, that level of responsibility. But kind of makes you wonder why Nightwing decided to stay where he's at. But he's he said he was happy where he's at, and he genuinely seems happy where he's at. So. Um, I'm, I'll be curious to see what other former members that we haven't seen. Again, Cough Cough, Kid Flash, Artemis, where are you? What are you doing to me? Yeah, I'm wondering if Dick and Zatanna are still in a relationship or something to just move on from. Ooh, okay. I'm also wondering if he wants to stay on the team because he wants to catch Carter himself. Oh, because you because, see. Okay you see the energy that Lagan has towards him. Right. So maybe Dick needs to kind of be the voice of reason because even though Connor has matured quite a bit, yeah. there's still like a salty spot when it comes to the the traitor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which is, I mean, it it's, makes it all that much more bittersweet because, you know, Calder was the one that was initially the one that knew about the mole. When it's time to give a truly special gift to that special someone in your life, why not turn to a jeweler you can trust? Solomon Brothers Jewelers is a family-owned business that's earned Atlanta's trust for decades with high quality, low prices, and the largest selection. Solomon Brothers has thousands of wedding bands, engagement rings, and loose diamonds in stock. Shop Solomon Brothers online at SolomonBrothers.com, SolomonBrothers.com, or stop by stores with locations in Buckhead or Alpharetta and experience the best. And was the leader of the team uh, man the but I, 
That is, a, it's a good opportunity to bring back up Calder though, because on the subject of like Black Manta, one of the the aspects of his his involvement and in his plot was, uh, and the reason that he's able to escape where they had him beat is that there's an alien bomb that basically um, goes off and kills all the the Krolateans as well as the ship that they were building to escape from this planet, and it takes out Superman as well. Which is a real another really tragic like moment. Like it's nice to, again to see Superman doing what he does best. Like he wanted to save these creatures, and they're just like they don't get it. They're just firing upon him, firing upon him, and he like really wanted to save them. And even even Superboy says like Wonder Woman's like, oh, he's got a strong pulse, he's breathing, he's okay. And he's like, he didn't save them. He's not going to be okay with that. Um, yeah. So what was Aqualad? Uh, excuse me, Black Manta's goal there? Like. They even questioned it, like, was he setting them up for a trap? Was he genuinely trying to help them? We don't really know. Um, and the person that plants the bomb, it was a silhouetted figure. I initially thought it was Kaldor, but then I'm guessing because of the shape of the body suit and everything like that, it was supposed to be Black Manta because then he gets inducted to the light where the light was the major threat from season one they are back at the end of this third episode. So, again, I can understand why you chose to break up the episodes the way you did. We thought we might have been might have been done with the light, but nope, they're still as present as ever and uh, operating behind the scenes like like they do. Yep, we're not done with big emotional moments yet either. Uh-oh. But Uh-oh. yeah, I'm glad you I'm glad you brought up that whole thing about Superman. This is probably definitely like my favorite version of Superman that I've seen recently. Mhm. I know I said that he stood in front of a missile, but, like, even in that moment, like, he lost Calderon because that was when Nightwing met up with him. Right. But it's a version that you see not only go through emotional pain, but you see him actually capable of going through physical pain. Okay, yeah. That was my favorite thing about Man of Steel was that when the jets were shooting at him or he got hit by a missile like that actually phased him that bothered him he wasn't this invincible like nothing can hurt me i'm superman type type of vibe yeah and as the movies in dcu progressed it kind of went a little bit more towards the invincible thing but he's not invincible here he's really strong he's probably the strongest person but like if aquaman shazam captain adam any of them were to get into a fight with him like it would actually be a fight right So I like that more, for lack of a better term, down-to-earth version of Superman that's vulnerable and can be beaten and is not godlike. And to see him in that moment of, like, not only him staying back, trying to convince them to let him help, they start shooting at him, that phased him a little bit, but Connor and the League were actually worried, like, what about Superman? Right. Like, he's in there with a bomb. That could hurt him. And it yeah, hurt him. And, and I like that that's that's an issue, that you actually have to worry about Superman in this universe. Where where did I hear this this recently? And it might have been on the show. Forgive me if, like I said, it's, we mentioned up top, it's been, like, such a weekend of, like, so much content and everything like that. But I know it had to be DC-related. Where did I hear recently he's still, he's Kryptonian, but he still needs to breathe? Clayface said that at the beginning of the episode. Okay, okay, that's what it was. Yeah, when he had Superboy, because okay, that's when the main thing when when Superman fell into the water and was completely unconscious. I there was a moment where I was like seriously concerned, like keeping that in mind. I'm like, yeah, 
as long as the sun's there, he's going to survive on some level. But then it was when Aquaman came and scooped him up, which goes right back into the point you were making. They were legitimately concerned for him and, you know, sent a uh, reconnaissance and rescue team out to scoop him up. So Yeah. I, I love the Superman so much, and that moment was huge for his for his character. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, Superman's a character that we haven't uh, been able to spend a ton of time on, and he's not the focal point of the show, but uh, I'm right there with you. He's done a, like, a real about-face from season one um, in terms of his relationship with Connor, but then even just, like, he is so, such a, he's, he's the classic uh, design of the character, but it's it's really well done like i love the way they have that classic s with the serif mm-hmm. and everything like that but it doesn't look out of place it doesn't look campy like it works with this design that they've made um so well so and the voice actor does a fantastic job nolan north is killing it as both uh yeah superman and connor all right i think that's uh that's everything i wanted to hit on uh as far as these three episodes go did you have anything uh left on the table that you feel is important to bring up uh two more things yeah please i didn't know about this guy until this show but i like how dc has their own version of J. jonah jameson and and godfrey yeah yeah this is something that's very recurring in the show from here on out and he always has like his sly anti-hero commentary i just i love every scene that comes up because like i appreciate what he brings to the show but i want to punch him in the face at the same time (laughs) and you see how his word like how influential he is because when they were doing the tour of the hall of justice they were just like but jay gordon godfrey said that you know they were the ones who brought the aliens and it's like they're like losing their faith in the heroes because of the the bullshit that he's spreading yeah uh i that scene kind of stuck out me out to me too because of the tour guide she had a very thick french accent and i was like is this and she uh visually she was really um distinctive in the fact that she had like green eyes and a mole and stuff like that so i was like i could not help but like I'm wondering where, if if there's something special about this character, but uh, yeah, you're you're right. Uh, going back to what's his name's Godfrey Gilbert. I want to say Gilbert Godfrey, but I know that's not right. I know G Gordon Godfrey. G Gordon Godfrey. Yeah, he is very much. It's funny that it's just like three G's instead of two or uh, three J's. J. J. Yeah. Jameson. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um. Um. But the the character that you mentioned, I think it was at the beginning of season one when Zatanna oh, okay. and Rocket are coming in and she was the one that was pushing back the press. Oh, okay. Okay. So I feel like she's kind of like the curator or the manager of the Hall of Justice or something like that. Something in that and, regard. Okay. You're probably right. And that's probably why she caught my eyes because I'd, I'd seen the character before, but I just didn't make that connection. So yeah. Right. And she, sp- cool. she spoke with that foreign accent as well. Um, right. but actually I had a, I had a theory that the person who voiced Artemis voiced her in a... Fu- yep, I was right. Ooh, nice. Yeah, That's a good so catch, it's, man. it's yeah. the person who voices Artemis with just a more European Interesting, accent. yeah. That's a good catch. <laughs> I, I don't I don't think I would have picked up on that myself. The, I mean, the main thing... Uh, I know that actress's, our actor's name is Stephanie something? Lemelin. Stephanie Lemelin. Uh, the main thing that always stuck out to me about her when she voiced Artemis is she has a she has the ability to do like a little bit of rasp and like smokiness to the voice that's not like too overbearing. Yeah. So very unique. Yeah, I enjoyed it quite a bit. Um, so on the point of curator, when she was when they were in the museum, they finally gave the origin of how the Justice League was formed. 
Yes. In this universe, and that's right. when they were fighting the Appalachians, which I had right. never heard of before this. So that stuck out to me too, and I was I was Appalachians. Like that's not that has nothing to do with apocalypse, right? Mm-mm. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I'm not familiar with them either. Then what she said it was a basically a suit that or a suit that like, no, they were like they were like environmental like stone giants. Okay, that like use like energy or something like that. Yeah, that had yeah. very like rune like carvings. Yeah, okay. engraved in them. Kind of a uh, I don't know if you totally changing gears. I don't know why it's reminding me of this, but if you ever saw Hellboy two, the Golden Army. Mm-mm. Oh, I really like those first two Hellboy movies off completely off base here i would recommend them, but <laughs> that's neither here nor there <laughs> uh, and the last point for me yes sir take it have away have you noticed that captain adam has been taking more of a leadership position this season yes he actually has speaking roles this season <laughs> i don't think he was voiced at all uh last season so yeah he's a character that uh always seems to be in the background of things that i i read or or see but uh, I really have not spent m- too much time with that character, but he seems very um, authoritative. Mm-hmm. Is the main thing um, very captain-like? Yeah, exactly. And I noticed they called him Cap, <laughs> which I guess this this series came out around 2012. So I don't know. I guess I guess it's not per se a reference to other captain <laughs> characters out there. <laughs> DC did most of these characters first. So. That's no, totally true. I mean, we had Captain Marvel all last season. That was definitely that. I knew that about the character of Captain Marvel that he was Captain Marvel well before he was ever referred to as Shazam. But just with pop pop culture and the zeitgeist, you know, Shazam being the yeah. more modern interpretation, it was a little bit of a transition there. But yeah, DC did it first in a, in a lot of different ways. I mean, I know Thanos was uh, inspired by Darkseid, and that's that's not the only instance by any means, but. Yeah, I, I I believe that's uh, everything I want to cover. I mean, the, yeah, this season is off to a hell of a start. As I mentioned, as uh, bombastic and exciting it was, there was definitely a uh, element of, of bittersweetness to it, not only in like what happened to some of the characters that we, we get to see their betrayal forthright, uh, just missing some of the characters. Like, yeah, Artemis was one of my favorite characters, and the voice actress was no, no small part of that and the journey that she took. But yeah, also also Kid Flash. I mean, um, surprise! There's one more you haven't brought up. Who's that? Who's that? Red Tornado? No, you got the mm-hmm. red part right. Red, Red Arrow. Ah, yeah. yes. You yes, mentioned yes, him yes, once. Yes. I was waiting for it. No, no, you're totally right, and that just goes to show like the scale of this thing. We were introduced to so many characters, but that was certainly something. A, a big cliffhanger from uh, season one was we've got two versions of of Roy Harper out there. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'm very curious. And, uh, in the hall of justice, we had guardians armor. I almost completely forgot about that. What happened to guardian? He doesn't have his armor anymore. And is it that wise to keep all the pieces of Amazo that close together? Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I think that's going to bring things to a close here. Um, Again, really enjoying the series, really enjoying the coverage and the conversations with you here, Zuhair. So thanks again for recommending it. Um, As for myself, you know, stay tuned to Animation Deliberation. Uh, We do have Invincible releasing on Amazon that's coming right around the corner. Um, I myself have had the opportunity to hop on the 
MCU cast uh, to cover Falcon and the Winter Soldier, so that drops on Fridays. Keep an eye out for that, and just, you know, stay tuned to all things uh, Stranded Panda. Go to strandedpanda.com to check out all the wonderful shows that happen. Um, And then, uh, yeah, join us on Wednesday nights uh, on the Twitch channel, Stranded Panda TV. It's twitch.com. tv slash stranded panda tv i'm pretty sure i'm correct on that wednesday nights we do trivia at uh seven or excuse me uh yeah seven central yeah yeah so here you got you got anything that you, uh, you'd like to mention to the people also if there are particular movies that are coming out such as godzilla versus king kong or whichever order that's in and you don't feel like binging the other movies check out bingers assemble that's also on stranded panda so that you can catch up and hear jay scotty along with other people's voices on these recaps so that you don't have to watch them again hell yeah all right folks well uh thanks for listening we will uh be back before you know it stay whelmed love it you're invited to take a vacation from everybody else's vacation to a place where you can explore cypress swamps and magical gardens and see a 65-foot waterfall that once powered an old mill that you can walk through today or just float along the cool rushing waters of an old-fashioned swimming hole see the places and plan your journey at visitmississippi.org slash outdoor adventure mississippi wanderers welcome oh 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 o'reilly Stay cool this summer with AC Pro and O'Reilly Auto Parts. Right now, get a $15 O'Reilly Auto Parts gift card after mail-in rebate with the purchase of select AC Pro ready-to-use refrigerant products that include a hose and gauge. Beat the heat before you hit the road with AC Pro at your local O'Reilly Auto Parts store. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. There's a highway. That stretches across the 93 days of summer, where worship isn't offered to the sun, but to the smoking tire, the S-curve, and the spin turn. And if you ride it, make sure you do it in a Dodge Charger, Challenger, or Durango. Because on this highway, the lines being blurred are the ones between drivers and demons. Welcome to Highway 93. Dodge is a registered trademark.